Welcome to the On-Premise IT Podcast, the only show that dares to be both on-topic or on-premise, and sometimes on-location or on-premises. Each time we meet, we bring together a group of IT experts from the Gestalt IT community to discuss a single topic or premise. On today's episode, which is uh, published gearing up for Tech Field Day 26 this week, we're uh, asking about the future of the data center and specifically, are there servers anymore in this future disaggregated data center thing? But before we get into that premise, let's meet who's on the panel today. Hello, my name is Craig Rogers. You can find me on Twitter at Craig Rogers MS. I'm Chris Reed. You can find me on Twitter at the CM Reed. Good afternoon, Chris Hayner. You can find me on Twitter at Hayner80. And I'm Stephen Foskett, and you can find me at S Foskett on the socials. So this is one of the things that I've been noticing lately is that for forever, basically, we've had this very specific uh, hardware distinction between servers, storage, networks. You know, there's there's all this this you know uh, all this change has happened, but servers are still servers. But yet, are they? Because so much of what used to be done in a server is now done in uh, an accelerator or an external device. And now we've got CXL coming, and we're going to be talking about that at Tech Field Day. We're also going to be uh, doing a CXL forum uh, this week as well. And we're, we're, we're really diving into this new protocol that promises to explode the server. And the same thing I'm hearing um, from Networking Field Day is uh, there's a lot of talk about uh, networking and having multiple channels and kind of exploding the whole idea of networking. And then we've got silicon photonics that is going to put networking right on the CPU instead of uh, on an external card. And, and we're having this weird mashup between PCI Express and Ethernet and all this stuff is happening. And it just seems to me that pretty soon, whatever we meant by a server is no longer going to be accurate. Um, Craig, you and I have talked about the CXL a lot. Why don't you start with that, and then we'll kind of dive into the rest of this picture. Okay, so uh, for, for those that haven't looked at CXL, it's uh, it, it's coming out shortly. It's going to arrive with PCI Express 5 and, and brings about a lot more functionality with it uh, as part of that upgrade. The the main upgrade feature that, that's coming is essentially the ability to extend the PCI Express bus outside of the, the server, you know, the rack server and create a rack level network. And this, this brings about a huge amount of, of possibilities. Um, throughout time, we're going to be able to add memory um, obtain or obtain equivalent um, via a different bus. We'll be able to add SSDs and eventually it'll end up plugging in AI modules and and, and various other accelerators such as, as GPUs and IPUs. It, so it, it's really going to be transformative for the whole industry. And going back to what you said, Stephen, that what is a server? I, I think in the next few years, the answer to that question will be very different to what it would be now. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's actually part of a larger trend that's actually been going on for probably 15 odd years of computer hardware evolution. You know, when you start out in servers in the 90s, early 2000s, it was still, relatively speaking, all self-contained units. The biggest first change that happened was externalizing the storage. So you would have a computer, which used to be CPU, RAM, 
hard drives. Now the hard drive is not nearly as important because that has been taken away from the server itself via dark fiber into a SAN and your storage is abstracted away. The next step in that was blade chassis that had some type of composable or extensible model to them. The HPE stuff in particular really went down this road pretty hard. But what's happening with the CXL is the finality of that idea where everything that used to be in the box is now just a component that's connected by the PCI bus. And that can be anywhere within a rack. You can spin things up, an idealized model here. You can spin up new memory as you need it, take it off when you don't. And it will allow and will dramatically change the way that you even think about the concept of a server, probably sooner rather than later, based on what we've seen from CXL. I, yeah, but I mean, ultimately, isn't that just, it, it's sort of the next iteration of what has been happening going from, from the hyper-converged with sort of everything is just a larger model. And then um, then we disaggregated some of that out of it and, and used just Ethernet as that transit. Now we're just doing, that transit is just a different mechanism now with different plug-in modules. It's, it's not really... I'm not seeing this as something revolutionary. It's just it's just the next step. I think that's the important thing here is that um, is this really a revolution? And I think that you know, kind of the the contrarian position on CXL especially is that this thing might not work and it might not really take off. And if it doesn't, what about all these other technologies? And then the other thing that occurs to me too is there's also a software picture to this. And you know, we went from uh, monolithic operating system defined servers to virtual servers, which, you know, kind of, in a way, disaggregated servers already to now sort of distributed, coordinated, containerized instances and microservices, even in the enterprise data center. And all of those things are really blurring the lines of, of what a server is and, and why a server exists. I'm really glad that Chris Hayner, that you went back to storage because that was a huge topic in the in the 90s when the uh, on the advent of storage arrays and people may not remember that because maybe they weren't, you know, didn't live through it. But that was a big deal uh, when suddenly storage was a thing that was outside the server. It was a, it was a huge thing and it enabled more than just bigger storage. It enabled sharing and flexibility and all these advanced storage features. And the same thing happened in networking and. And so I guess the question is, um, you know, the server survived through all that. Does the server survive uh, disaggregation and composability? So that's a great question. And I think the answer is it depends. First of all, what do we mean by a server, right? Because if you attach the workload to the same kind of philosophy that we're talking about here, we've always considered the workload as a VM. Right? So the VM is the server, even though it's all completely virtualized, everything is abstracted inside of a virtual environment, whether it's in VMware, Hyper-V on-prem, or in the cloud. But now, with these models of things coming down, everything being disaggregated physically in a similar way on the data center, you'll start to think about just the workload as a concept, which is something that's already happening with, say, containers, for example, another level of abstraction where you don't even care about CPU and RAM anymore. You just know I can handle X amount of nodes with what's in front of me, so let's get these workloads up and running. So abstract, taking all those abstractions that we could do in a virtual environment into the on-prem environment, I think is gonna really change even the idea that we use the word server. Because you know, like we were talking about before we hit record, CXL at its final version, let's say 6.0, all of these components are going to be completely separate from each other, just connected by a bus. 
So you will not say, I need a new server because I'm running out of space for my Kubernetes cluster. You're going to say, I need another you know, 16 CPUs because everything else is running perfectly fine. And we have the functionality and the flexibility to buy things piecemeal like that. So the idea of a server, I feel, is going to go away and terms are going to change to talk more about workloads. I, I think it's true. Over the years you've been mentioning there, uh, server has has stayed strong despite the, the evolution into virtualization, where we were running virtual servers inside another server. But it, it's kept it, it's kept that that uh, pedigree of it's a server. Uh, I, I completely agree though that I think it's going to change you know it, it's not a server it, if you're just plugging in compute nodes or you're just plugging in a tray of ram it's it's no longer a server it, it's rack scale architecture and that's going to be a I, I think it's going to be a big evolution revolution which whichever your favorite is both <laughs> it, it, i think it's going to transform things uh, yeah, ultimately, it, it depends on what your definition of a, of a server is. Is right now is is a is a switch that runs a little a little Docker container on it um, with a sensor in it. Is that a server? Um, so if you're not if you're saying that's not a server, none of this is a server. Yeah, right. And I'll I'll tell you what Hollywood is going to call it the mainframe because you know <laughs> I mean we've all seen movies. It's back, baby. But in a way, you know, is that so crazy? Think about that. I mean, basically, rack scale architecture kind of is the next, you know, the next iteration of mainframe in a way, because we're talking about basically building a massive thing that has the resources that we need to do the work and is internally consistent and internally coupled and flexible and runs containers. Uh, that is the definition of a mainframe. It's just a new mainframe. I, I think it was great referring back to Chris Hainer's analogy with the blade system, you know, where you had certain things you could share. We, we all, I believe here, used early blade systems and, and remember the fun on that. Uh, but there were limitations around what you could share through, throughout the blades within the chassis. The, the, there was limitations on the scale of the chassis, you know, maybe eight or 10 or 12 or 16 blades within a chassis. But when you're looking at rack scale, you know, th there's a lot more use there to, to fill to, to fill up with, with, with resource, you know? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I really like, I, I like the flexibility that comes with with this is that it's you can build your entire data center to support what the specific workloads that you do. If you have a if you need a ton of compute but you're not storing storing a lot, you can dedicate what four racks to compute and then just have one rack for uh, for storage. It's a it's super cool. It's super flexible, um, and really the cloud scale providers do this because they need to tailor to their specific um, their specific workloads as well. I see the cloud scale providers being the very early adopters here. Um, they've all signed up to like the CXL consortium. They're they're all heavily involved. There's a number of them are you know director level within that consortium, and they certainly will have the most to gain initially. And you know they they they're looking at megawatts of rack space at at a time. You know they're not looking at individual racks. So for them, it's going to allow them to really drive optimization and efficiency further that that simply didn't have the capability to do at, at server scale you know or, or blade scale even you know um the, it'll they'll be the the real early beneficiaries and uh, they'll do it very well but eventually it's going to come that you know small companies are composing 
their own rack, you know. Um, it'll not take a huge number of employees to realize those benefits. But, well, but th- that's where the software component starts to come in because at the, the cloud scale providers, they can they can build their own um, their own software to take advantage of a lot of this. But when does this start to become available off the shelf for folks with maybe a little bit of DevOps, but but they're not full time coders? Uh, when does that become available to smaller business, medium enterprise kind of kind of setup? And and I think that that's one of those things that we need to keep you know kind of. Uh, a, a reality check is that this could be totally derailed by a number of different factors. I mean, on the one hand, too, you know, when you look at the hyperscalers, what are they planning to get out of CXL? Initially, what they're trying to break out of is not the chassis of the server or the form factor of the server, but the limitations of those servers with regard to specifying and right sizing the server. So they're not trying to get away from the server, they just want the right server. And so you'll get hyperscalers that want, I don't know, maybe I want 87 cores of CPU and, you know, I don't know, 1.2 terabytes of, you know, memory and, you know, stuff like that. I mean, they want a very specific configuration that they literally can't have because servers just aren't built that way. And I think that's why they're embracing this stuff first. But what they're not doing is they're not talking about building rack scale or anything like that at this point. What they're really talking about is just, I want the server that I want. And then like, like, you know, Chris, Chris Reed, what you were just saying too, I think that, um, you know, what are you going to do with this server that's going to be any different than what you would have done with any other server, right? Is that, is that where you were going for? Um, uh, yeah, I mean, ultimately, it, I think it comes down to the flexibility that you get and in, in t- tailoring to your own, your own specific workloads, but, but uh, um, you need, you really need the software behind it for you to be able to take advantage of, of that to pull your workloads that are running on VMs or containers right now and pull that into this new disaggregated setup. Yeah, I think it really comes down to one of the big advantages that the cloud providers have also is free cash flow and empty rack space to play with. Because I think all these arguments are absolutely right. This is going to be revolutionary and completely change the way that we deal with what is currently called IaaS in the cloud. But they're the ones that have the free hands, free money, and free space to play with it when it's you know version 1.0. Other businesses, I have a feeling, are going to be a little more hesitant until those kinds of tools come out, until they're tested and proven, and it looks more turnkey. Because if you are running a really tight business and you can't afford to take chances, it doesn't matter what technology we're talking about, you're not going to buy the bleeding edge. You're going to let NASCAR have it for a few years, and then when it rolls down into your Toyota Tercel, all of a sudden you're going to be using it as if it's always been there. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the cloud folks also have the, it's very low risk for them to try that out, and there's a huge reward on the backside. If they if they spend $10 million, $15, $20 million getting this up in a test bed, and it saves 2% labor, 2% power, um, but it, just that alone, I mean, it's huge for them and, and will pay for itself in no time. I, I've been taking a similar thought to, to use both there around the management layer of this and the, the, the ability for smaller companies to adopt it early. It, it's unlikely to, to be that way. But if we look at what happened with storage coming out into separate devices, we got storage vendors. We look at what happened with virtualization. We got virtualization vendors. Kubernetes, we've now got companies that do nothing but orchestrate Kubernetes. We're going to end up with purely focused CXL level companies here that might not even exist yet 
you know, uh, they, they, they could be acquired into some of the larger hyperscalers. Uh, they, they could end up releasing a product that does exactly everything we need, you know, at an SMB level to compose a rack. So it, it, it's exciting. We'll probably end up seeing a lot of them around the table at, at, at Tech Field Day. Will there be CXL Field Day or something to, to, to cover those types of services? And I think that that's um, what I've learned from the past of evolutions of technology is we don't need to declare it CXL field day. If the industry is going in that direction, it'll be that because, you know, we saw the same thing with basically every other technology. Um, you know, hey, hey Chris, uh, how about Wi-Fi 6E field day? You know, how about CBRS field day? You know, how about, uh, you know, disaggregated storage field day, uh, NVMe storage field day? I mean, it it just goes on and on, and um, and and it's it's going to be like that with CXL as well. And I think that basically next year we're going to be seeing these products hitting the market. But one of the questions that I have, um, you know, kind of uh, that's that's kind of bugging me is back to what Chris Reed said about you know is this ever going to hit the end user? One of the things that could really derail this is uh, systems OEMs. Like I don't want to pick on them, but if you're HPE or Dell or Lenovo or, you know, whoever, do you really want your customers to have access to this technology? Or do you just want to use it internally to build more flexible and interesting servers that you then sell to your customers as servers or storage or network switches or whatever it is? Is this technology that that could be hidden from people and only used by hyperscalers and OEMs? Whether or not the major manufacturers would like to go down that road is almost irrelevant because there will be businesses that pop up out of nowhere that figure out the answer to that question. Now, we don't know price lists. We don't know what this is going to look like. What does it cost to get your first rack going? You know, what are those those kind of buy-in purchase prices? We don't know what they are right now. We know that Microsoft can afford it. The flower shop down the street might have a problem with it. But Small to medium businesses will always find small to medium consultancies or software houses that want to, that see a need and want to meet it. And I think in this case, it's going to be no different. I I think the server OEMs have an opportunity here as well. Is that that they've got expertise right now in compute and storage and and know the the backplanes for it. So they they could be a provider of the hardware. Um, for this, they could also see it as as saying, "Hey, we can we can take this and internalize it a little bit, and and have a turnkey product that we hey we just ship you a rack, and it has all of this inside of it, um, and and it's it, it's what you want. It's easier for you. It's not quite what the hyperscale guys are getting, but it's easy and it does exactly what you want. If there's customer demand for it, and customer demand for their normal servers and storage products products start to go away, they've got to go somewhere and they might as well go to what people are buying. I, I think the managed service providers will, will help with that. You know, they'll have enough in-house expertise to develop viable solutions for mid-size enterprise. Once the hyperscalers have it in play, it'll trickle down. You, you, you know yourselves, we've seen it historically with every other form of you know, technology that that's come out, it will trickle down. So um, the, we kind of already know a certain element of the path. We just don't know how widely it's going to be adopted yet. Yeah, true. And, it, and it, I mean, it's like almost any technology that's promising. You know, you kind of don't know what part of it's going to be adopted. I mean, I'll just remind you all that Fiber Channel was originally not just a storage protocol. It was supposed to be sort of the next generation data center fabric protocol for all applications. 
and it only ended up ever being used by storage. Theoretically, CXL could be only ever used by memory expansion. I think if that were to be the case, it would be a disaster for CXL. I think it's kind of an all-in technology, and if it doesn't take over and kind of blow up what a server means, then CXL will have failed. Because one thing I was thinking of uh, while Chris Reed was talking, when the cloud became something that regular businesses of all sizes were comfortable using, one of the things that drove that was the kind of financial freedom that you got when you switched from massive capital expenses to smaller operating expenses. And if CXL works across the board like we think that it might, then I think that does the same thing inside the data center that it did in the cloud. So yes, you're going to have to pay X amount to get in the door with whatever the rack price is, whatever the first is going to be a punch in the wallet. But then you grow organically with your workloads. Hey, I need two more CPUs. All right, that'll be $500. That's a much easier pill to swallow than, hey, we need two more servers. That'll be $25,000. So just on the flexibility of the size of the purchases that you need to make to maintain performance in the data center, this has got another serious potential if we hit all of those different performance metrics. Now, if this all comes out and it's 12 grand per component, then forget everything that I just said. But I don't think that's what's going to happen. Well, and you're just buying compute when you need compute. You're just buying storage when you need storage. You're just buying memory when you need memory. So as things scale up, that you, you don't have to get all of it in one box and throw it in. I imagine the, the, the major server vendors right now are, are, are very much welcoming CXL as servers as you've seen over time, have evolved. You know, it used to be it was uh, it was it was a Xeon CPU, and there was maybe two NICs, and it took ECC RAM. Now we're looking at servers with you know NVMe planes, you know, multiple 100 gig NICs. Server complexity over the last 20 years has just ballooned to a point where it it, it must be a challenge to develop a new server, get it through QA stand over it, and actually make it be able to work. CXL is going to simplify that vendor product design because it's you're designing a tray that takes cpus you're designing a tray that takes ram you're designing a tray you know it's massively simple it's it's hugely less complicated to make trays of things than servers what if if they're talking about jumping into the hardware game for this i'm sure the uh the manufacturer marketing teams are salivating uh, because this is something new and exciting and for quite a while the uh, servers have have not been all that exciting. Another thing I'd like to point out is that this actually has a big bearing on networking as well. Um, so first of all, um, top of rack or center of rack now is a huge business. And that might go away or change if we've got PCI Express fabrics outside the server box that are rack scale. The other thing that I, I so that's kind of the negative. The positive is, what if we take this same technology and apply it to a network switch or a router or a firewall? You know, have you ever dreamed of having a network switch that could have, you know, all the bandwidth or all the ports or whatever ports you need? Um, you know, have you ever dreamed about being able to have, you know, scale up your firewall, you know, in some way to some massive proportion so that, you know, everything's running on the same thing? I don't know. I think that it could be very useful in areas outside servers. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, 
I think it depends on the ultimately on the use cases. Is, is that uh, um, you've got the ability to to scale up, particularly when you're talking some of the virtual ones. So if you got if you got a virtual firewall in there that you can just throw additional um, a, additional services at it. Um, but ultimately, these these components, these racks, will need to connect to other places, and that's where you'll still have the networking in the data center. Um, but it's going to be that handoff to that external connection. But internally, I mean, if your backplane is running the entire rack, you're not going to need a top of rack switch. You're going to need two switches for for um, availability and resiliency to feed all of these. Um, and then if you're running that virtual, it can run on the same hardware and then just hand off um, and likely with what one, two blades per um, per rack to do that handoff. Again, with the uh, the blade technology, when blade chassis first came out and you were able to integrate a massive amount of bandwidth into one or two connections, like an octopus connection for 40 gigs into the back of a chassis. Now you have unlimited software control over how much or how little bandwidth to give to each individual server. You know, that was, that was a game changer because the first thing way back when, again, how fast was the network was how much bandwidth every server got. And then if you tried to restrict it, it was a challenge. Physically, you'd have to move cables around. All of that stuff just disappeared with networking integrated into a blade chassis. Now we're talking about doing the same thing, except instead of a blade chassis, it's integrated into a rack or a row. The the impact of, of blade systems around being able to run high bandwidth demand applications and workloads within that chassis, and it didn't matter if it had a one gig uplink, as long as it could reach all of the resource it needed to perform effectively on the 10 gig backplane that the blade give you and this is at a time when 10 gig switching was not cheap i'm sure you remember yourselves when they come in so it, we're going to have that similar huge massive performance boost coming off the cxl bus versus very expensive 100 gig 400 gig uplink speeds on, on current networking equipment. So it will it will impact things there as well. But those networking vendors are gonna to want to jump in on, on the bandwagon here. If they if they can if they can develop a CXL switch, I imagine they will. So another thing, uh, I guess maybe a final thing that occurs to me is you know, CXL isn't the only thing spelling the end of the server. I think you all have heard of serverless, right? Um, now, of course, we all like to make fun of that. Serverless is just another somebody else's server or whatever. But truly, function as a service is not somebody else's server. It, it really almost is serverless. And, you know, it, yes, it runs on a CPU and it has memory and storage and things like that. But function as a service and really true microservices-based applications are coming to the data center. And, and frankly, all of this stuff may, be, may sound an awful lot like shuffling dinosaurs to somebody who's living in this you know, microservices world and thinking, what, the, what are they even talking about? Why would I want a rack scale server? What is even a server? I don't want a server. So, I mean, do you think that there's a possibility that the future of software design and, and, and serverless and microservices could, could basically make this whole thing irrelevant? I think there's an absolute potential for that. And the way that I like to describe service uh, serverless is actually just say that serverless is someone else's container, which is really what happens. So we come back to discussing the overall uh, management plane. Uh, 
And if the management plane is built with some type of a Kubernetes native understanding, then you don't have to care about the underlying op operating system in any way. You can do exactly that. You just say, here's my workload. It's five scripts. It runs on this schedule. It's you know 500K in size. You figure it out, management layer. I think for a lot of people, that's that's a dream. That's an ideal. Except now the JSON will include the amount of CPU cores required, the amount of storage required, the amount of RAM required, additional AI modules eventually. It, it, so it, it, uh, rack as code? <laughs> Is that where it's going? The management layer will have uh, you know the band hammer to say, no, no, sir. You get one CPU and 1.15 megabytes of RAM, and that's it. So, yeah, I don't know where this is going. It seems like a very, um, I guess it's really up in the air. And so I think the thing is, I'm very excited about CXL. And that's why uh, I am announcing that we have just launched a podcast called Utilizing CXL. It's actually season four of our Utilizing Tech podcast, which was focused on AI and machine learning for the first three seasons. Now we're going to be focusing on CXL for at least one season here at Gestalt IT. And really the, the question there, just like it was with AI and ML, is, is this real? Is this something that's going to impact people? How are people really using it? What do the products really do? Because it's easy to get excited about the hype. But I guess I'll just remind everyone that CXL version three is still an inside the box, inside the server technology. Yeah, it has switched fabrics inside the server. It doesn't really do what we want it to do yet. But of course, there's so much more development coming and version four is just down the road and PCIe 5 is coming and PCIe 6 is coming and all this stuff is coming, but when does it get real? And that's, I think, the question that I'm gonna be asking myself uh, at Tech Field Day this week, at the CXL Forum and on the CXL podcast. So uh, thank you guys for joining me for this conversation. Um, I hope that the people listening got at least some idea of why we would suggest that it might be the end of the server. And uh, if not, uh, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, before we go, though, uh, where can listeners continue this conversation with you? Craig? You can find me on at Craig Rogers MS on Twitter. Uh, my blog is also craigrogers.co.uk, and I'm also active on LinkedIn as Craig Rogers. Uh, you can find me on uh, at Twitter at the CM Read or offchannelscan.com. And I am available on Twitter, Hainer80, and my blog is Hainer.net, and I have something on LinkedIn, but I don't remember what it's called. And you do a podcast too, Mr. Hainer, I believe. Oh, yeah. Co-host of the Chaos Lever podcast, which you can I find in more information about at chaoslever.com. Excellent. And, and as for me, uh, I'm Stephen Foskett. I, I do a weekly news rundown at Gestalt IT. Um, I also host the Han Premise IT podcast, as well as... Uh, well, now, uh, utilizing CXL. Uh, and you might see some of these folks on that podcast as well. Also, check out techfieldday.com to learn about what we're talking about with Tech Field Day. So thanks for listening for this episode of the On-Premise IT Podcast. This episode is brought to you by gestaltit.com, your home for IT coverage from across the enterprise. You can subscribe to this show in your favorite podcast application, and you'll also find Utilizing Tech, which is the sort of the mother podcast for utilizing CXL in that application. Uh, while you're in that application, please do give us a rating or a review. Uh, we do love it, love it. And um, we would love to have you share this episode with your friends and, and mention uh, the On-Premise IT podcast or the Utilizing CXL podcast. For show notes and more episodes, go to gestaltit.com slash podcast or utilizingtech.com. 
Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.